Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon i hope you're well my guest is a returning one having previously been on the show 11 ish months ago he's a director a cinematographer and editor he was directed commercials for under armor speedo and lincoln and music videos for 21 pilots fits in the tantrums several absolute classics for big black delta including my personal favorite music video for side of the road please welcome back warren combers welcome thanks for having me again I like how I paused on Comers because I was like, oh, I almost did it again. <laughs> and then instead, I just emphasize it weirdly. Warren Comers. There we go. Yeah. Thank you for coming back. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Glad to be back. Got to start off somehow. The uh, deeply unfair question. And this is going to be, for the first time, a twofer. Both how are you and how have you been? Hmm. I mean, I, I think I could uh, take up these 45 minutes just with that <laughs> question alone. Yeah. It's, uh, but... Uh, I've I've been good overall. Um, I feel like, whew, boy, I mean, it's as for most, I would think over the last eleven months, it's been all sorts of ups and downs. Uh, but uh, more recently, um, I've been feeling pretty good uh, since December. I, I had a good uh, trip back uh, home and spent some time with my uh, parents. And I was up in Montana. I got to enjoy some fresh air and some skiing, and that uh, felt really good from a mental health standpoint. Uh, I'm sure rejuvenating. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And also had some interesting conversations with my father, uh, who's a painter, uh, artist as well, uh, architect by trade. Uh, and, you know, even at... Uh, 43 uh you know talk talking over some new subjects both over our relationship as well as um just professionally as artists i suppose you could say and uh, that was that was really insightful and uh exciting for me so that that kind of uh sent me back down here to california with some inspiration for the new year so oh really yeah did he did he impart some some artistic wisdom on you uh you know to some degree i think a lot of it was uh understanding well i mean listen we're all products of our parents right (laughs) and oh yeah and the my relationship with my dad was pretty rough when i was a teenager i would say it was not uh I, I, as it is for most, maybe I, you know, I'm not sure, but it, it certainly was different than the relationship with my mom and, um, you know, didn't have he, he, him being an architect, I think, uh, as well as sort of the rest of my family having this, um, idea of excellence sort of was, uh, shaped me a lot. Uh, you know who I am now, and that's been k- kind of interesting to process. I guess I don't. We don't need to get into too much of it, sure. but I, I learned. I, I got gotcha. I, I just learned a lot in terms of some of my struggles with you know whether you want to call it perfectionism or uh, being getting in the way of my own work. Typically, like usually, I'm my biggest enemy in that sense, and uh, I kind of w- was able to figure out where some of that came from because, yeah, I guess it can't, you know, it was this. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my his students called them the uh, 
crit cat in architecture uh, when he was a professor of just you know relentless criticism and and while i know that all came from a great place <laughs> uh as a parent you know i think yeah. a lot of that also uh made like you know well summoner being a perfect example which we talked about last time the big black delta video i did where uh, you know, I ended up sort of taking that project hostage to try to get things as perfect as they could before anyone could see it and how that's actually kind of a poisonous uh, situation <laughs> Yeah, and why I'm such a fan of deadlines. But I, I guess I've also, through that conversation, my dad learned to figure out how... Um, you know, I, I, guess, uh, I guess sort of the main takeaway I had was you can have that I, you know, I functioned, I, I felt like I functioned really well, like with like in an academic environment in school or with deadlines on my commercial projects and things like that. But on some of these other, you know, bigger undertakings, uh, you know, I can really get in the way, I throw a wrench in my own gears to finish them or get them yeah. done. So I've been really trying to make progress on that. So I felt, I felt like that was the, some of the main takeaways because I, I learned that he had a lot of those same, um, you know, he, he won these awards as an architect, uh, becoming uh, called the Rome prize that Frank Gehry and other people had, uh, one and I, I think when I was younger, I really resented him for not being more successful, being a lower middle class family, him working at one of the like lowest paying universities in this country. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now I, I I consider him a true artist. He paints. He's he's retired now, but you know I have nothing but actually more respect for him <laughs> uh, as an adult. But I, I realize he sort of struggled with a lot of those similar things of, you know, being great at his craft, uh, but struggling, you know, with doing all the client stuff, you know, and all those sort of more uh, aspects that are the business, I suppose you could say. I know you mean, well, I have so many responses to so many things of what you just said, but in terms of like the relationship between your father and you or, or how it was at least growing up yeah that did we, that it's pretty similar to mine in a way just of mm. like not it's was an amazing childhood and it, it's just it's complicated that's what it boils down to yeah. it was a complicated thing and i very much had uh perfection kind of drilled into my head so i would so i've had it's taken a long time to to come to the conclusion but also be okay with that conclusion that perfection is a thing but it's not everything Right. And again, it's such an easy, it's such, it's so easy for me to say that, but to actually believe it and to be okay with something and not, not fully accomplishing something you have in your head and not coming away thinking that's a failure. Right. That's tough. You know, like yes. that, that's a really tough thing to get rid of. And I guess part of adulthood is both coming to grips with the good and the bad, but also having to undo a few things in your head yeah. that you kind of have just firmly beaten in there. Yep. And it's tough because like, you know, like you said, you know, you're proud to your environment and these are in the firmament of your being. And some things you just have to come to grips with the fact of like, this is just what it is, <laughs> exactly. uh, you know, but you can yeah. also, so it's like both being okay with the good, which is a lot easier obviously than the bad, but also like coming to grips with the fact that this is just the reality and although I can smooth out some of those edges, the, the, you're not going to get rid of the edges. They just are there. That's right. You know, it's and tough. I, and I tried to frame that, you know, when I 
approached my dad wanting to talk about some of these things that, you know, this is as this is in no way a criticism of you, right? <laughs> I don't like I, I'm so grateful for uh you know the your his inspiration there, you know, my parents support all those aspects. Uh it's just yeah, I I took it for granted how tangled I was <laughs> in, yeah. in a lot of that stuff of yeah, the way our brains, uh, especially when you're young, get wired and how hard it is to uh, change some of that. And maybe it never will completely, but I, I feel like at least I've uh, started to get in a place where I can recognize, you know, those thought patterns earlier before I go yeah. too down, too far down a dark hole. That's uh, that's the thing is a, like, I feel like I'll always go go there. It's all about what I do once. It's all about identifying it. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I can identify that that's where I'm going, then at least I can take some control over that. Yeah. As opposed to feeling just like a prisoner to these, uh, you know, I I know for me, I don't want to say that they're not like, uh, it's not self-destructive because that makes it sound way more tragic than it is. But it definitely, like you said, it's me getting in my own in my own way. And if I can just get out of that way, it's like if I can just provide the clarity to just do the things I know how to do, then yeah. I'm fine. But it's just a lot of work to get there. And and that's where I, I found that with deadlines and things that I'm accountable to someone else, right? Uh, oh, me too. That, that really helps me get past that because there's just no time to, you, you, you've got a deadline and you know that, okay, whatever I'm making here has to be at this state by then and uh, to stay focused on the work because <laughs> yes. there's no yes. time to think twice about it. Yeah, it's like if, if I don't open up the door of, the possibility of not doing something, any opening to allow myself to languish, I will have a tendency to take it. Right. I need the ability to not disappoint somebody in play, mm -hmm. or or to where uh, there might there are actual like defined consequences. And I wish I wasn't that way, but I definitely respond better when I have that in play. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. No, so I've I've been trying to, in a lot of projects, incorporate that more often. You know, partnerships, collaborators, uh, just to, but, you know, I've also run into experiences where, you know, like there's a, I'm not sure how much we talked about this last time, but a TV show, you know, that I've been working on for the last couple of years developing and, and, uh, you know, the partner and I who on paper were the right, you know, combination to develop that, you know, over time I started to realize I'm like, oh, actually, we're very similar in a lot of ways yeah. of we both have <laughs> depressive tendencies and things like this. <laughs> and I was like, we need, we need someone uh, in this project. That's just, you know, a go getter uh, in that sense and not going to look back. Cause both of us are just too critical of getting it right. You know, You're like, we need, we need somebody to offset our <laughs> exactly. personalities. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, you got to examine the whole picture when you bring in partnerships. It's like, not only they're, uh, you know, interests and talents, but also just the, uh, yeah, baseline uh, dopamine level. Or something. Yes. <laughs> You're like, wow, these, wow, these, these plants need some sun right now. That's right. I was just thinking like the dichotomy of like, hey, this is great. We're similar. But then it's also like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, we're similar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's that, that, you know, it's also, you know, giving me so much more respect for those who really do keep their chin up and, uh, you know, also keep the whole 
ship moving, uh, whether that be a producer or uh, whatever, because that's always been a job that's, you know, have, working with them all the time that I, it's been difficult for me to understand of, you know, who would want to do this? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like, man, you, I, I can't imagine having my shit together to that degree, you know, to, to be a producer, to be able to spin all these plates yeah, and, and the good ones making it seem like it's nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that would take so much work for me yeah. to be able to summon all of that within because I, I guess I just don't naturally lend myself to that. I'm definitely not a type A person, but mm-hmm. more power to... I, I respect the hell out of it. I respect anybody that can do that, Yeah. let alone at an elite level, because it's, it's a real talent. I've, I've been... You know, I had this sort of realization recently where I had come through... I'd, I'd reconnected with a friend uh, in uh, Los Angeles after uh, Molly and I had just moved back down here to... Southern California and you know he got a big new job promotion at a big commercial production company and you know we're chatting and going over and stuff and we're talking about various people and you know it made me realize you know there were all these folks that he had been working with that had you know climbed to uh, you know from our days at uh, the American Film Institute which is where we knew each other in graduate school that you know had become really successful in some aspects but uh, because they could just talk such a game and yeah. so much confidence but had also taken some really big falls <laughs> you know so, so they're like they're really good in the room on exactly the water exactly like, they can sell a movie but then when it gets to the making it you're like oh, exactly and, yeah. and i like i knew that and working with some of these folks where i'd be <laughs> like this person was full of shit you know it's like they have no idea what they're talking about but it didn't matter, you know, it, it like actually that when I think when you're getting started, uh, you know, that goes further than anything else. And, uh, you know, sure, it might have made for a huge fall uh, from grace, you know, now, but there's something to be learned there in that yeah, you got to speak positively about <laughs> yourself. And, and you know, I, like my Instagram handle, I, I've or a description I put in uh, his own worst hype man. <laughs> because I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna own that, and uh, you know, uh, someday, hopefully, that will, uh, that'll change, or it won't matter as much when, when work can speak for itself, or agents, or someone else that has yeah. to do that work for me. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like I could, I could like say in a really nice sentence about myself, and then inevitably have like a dot 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 or whatever, you know, like I can't yeah. help but undermine <laughs> it even a little bit, like I can't fully own it uh, because a part of me is just like. Yeah. Honestly, I just think, who the fuck am I? No, like, true. you know, I, that's well, what I, I think. And I use self, you know, I, I, you know, use self-deprecating humor all the time, primarily yeah. as an icebreaker. But it's, uh, I've realized that that's actually just reinforcing some of these connections <laughs> that you and I talked about more. Yeah. Brain, that I probably should, probably should ease up on a little bit because I have always just found that a way in a, you know, talking to someone else that I've, you know, don't know that, oh, this guy's not, you know, that, that just like stands out in my head is like, this yeah. guy's not an, an asshole that's totally full of himself. So I better make a joke about, you know, anything from my, you know, pale complexion to, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever. So you're like you can't you can't undermine me. I'll do that myself. I'll do that for you. Yeah. And then you have nothing. You got nothing. And meanwhile, they have no reason to have ever thought any of that to begin with. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. it's like 
Yeah, like, wow, let me just cut you off, this person who would never do that, most likely. Because <laughs> if they are, then they're a piece of shit, and why do I, what do I am doing with them anyway? Exactly, you know? exactly. The funny thing is that when I think about, like, my self-deprecating humor as well, well, I think two things. One, I think about a coworker who one time said to me, and I'll never forget this, he said, you know, that's just the type of humor I love. I just love self-defecating humor. <laughs> and I was, like, waiting for him to, like, Catch break. <laughs> waiting for him to, like break at the joke and like eight years later i'm still waiting he had no idea so i didn't correct him because i want to keep that going quite frankly that's what i think about the other thing i think about is that when i'm doing self-deprecating humor i i'm like a part of me is like in a way i'm showing my confidence because i'm talking about it but but the problem is they don't know that yeah and they have no point of reference and why would they so all they see is somebody shitting on themselves and what are they what else are they going to take away from that yeah. so i'm like yeah this was a bad approach on my part yeah. but in the moment i'm like man if they knew me this would go over well but they don't and this is i'm just this guy now <laughs> no you're right it's it's uh it's a fine line because i do think self-deprecation can do those things on the surface of uh you know breaking ice or uh you know, showing that you don't take yourself too seriously yeah. or stuff like that. But ultimately, if it's, um, you know, subconsciously reinforcing your own insecurities <laughs> and stuff, yeah. it yeah. may not. So I've I've tried to, but I've been trying to rein that in a little bit uh, over over the last couple months. But uh, yeah, no. So that was you know my just to bring it back, my sort of journey with talking with my, my dad was how, you know, he made some, a lot of similar decisions and, and, uh, that was, you know, sort of talking about the fear of failure and the fear of success being the, you know, uh, the two sides of the same coin and, uh, you know, why he chose what he chose, uh, to, you know, when offered really big architecture jobs at larger firms, you know, uh, why he chose <laughs> to like do the complete opposite in some cases, yes. you know, of work at, uh, you know, Montana State University or, uh, which has a great architecture program, but, you know, um, you know, pays nothing. And, uh, um, that was interesting to me to hear his sort of thoughts on where he was in that. And even just to find out in his retired life as where he's painting now full time, uh, that that's still a question he's constantly, you know, yeah. asking himself of because I look at his art and I'm like, this stuff is like amazing. It's better than, and I try to be impartial about it, but I'm certainly no art critic either in the, in, in the case of oil paintings, but you know, to me, it's like, I, I've never seen anything like this. And, and uh, he has such a hard time putting it out there for galleries and people to see and I've been trying to help with that but it's been a it's been a struggle but he uh you know that's still and then you know that also brings me back to the the thing well how much does it really matter you know yeah like maybe his uh his work will be appreciated uh, down the road or in another time or or never who it, it doesn't it doesn't I don't know if it matters so much but yeah, that's a, that's tough because I also imagine that I don't know. Uh, maybe if for him, if he's just painting just to paint, and then maybe the, I don't know the idea of other people seeing it, or you just don't know what you're doing with it. I don't know. There's there feels like there can be such a vulnerability with art. Uh, yeah, any form of it. So 
you know, some and and plenty of artists out there just don't give a shit. Yeah. And I respect that so much. I wish <laughs> yeah. for anything I could just not give a shit. But totally. Uh, unfortunately, I very much do. Yeah. Uh, although way less than ever, but that's still less than a lot. So it's still a fair amount. Absolutely. But, you know, so it's it's you know it's got to be tough to to do something. You know, for, in your case, to like make a summoner and then to really just feel that for months or or years even yeah you know and then to release it out in the world and then it's just like well you're artistically naked and this is out there now you know that's gotta yeah. be tough absolutely tough. it is and uh yeah I've, i feel like you know i don't know if it's as much age or what but yeah just starting not to give a fuck as much you know i mean obviously everybody you know you want work to be seen and uh certainly you know in the case of summoner uh and and or or you uh you know just means so much to think you know that it's it's made an impact with uh you know a certain group of people but you're also just sort of like gosh i feel like if more people could see this you know it might be uh you know, it'd be not only great for Big Black Delta, but just also for different forms of uh, storytelling and, you know, music videos and things like that. But uh, I've also realized, yeah, you just kind of have to, yeah, be true to yourself and, and, you know, keep making the things you want to see. And and who knows, maybe that'll resonate with uh, somebody. Oh, absolutely. I I do think that if, if anybody, if you can take a positive, which is uh, even just starting that sentence, I'm, I'm not a fan of it, but I'm going to keep going, of the last two years, it's like the coming to getting more comfortable with the fact that you realize you have such little control mm-hmm. and maybe that can go a long way because like you can only do so much. You can control your artistic vision to whatever degree you can, depending on the circumstances and what you do with that and what you make. And maybe it's not about not caring anymore but maybe just not being as precious about it and and just letting go i mean it's all relative and it's so easy to say again and it's so difficult to actually feel that way to yeah. to say the words but to feel it biologically it's such a different thing yeah but to get but man just even if when you get a little amount of like letting go of something even that can feel so freeing absolutely and and i've kind of taken that with and stop me if we talked about this to a certain extent last time we chatted i don't think we did a bunch but you know this television project i'd been working so we, on we for, didn't talk much you mentioned it briefly but not much you know i had like summoner and kind of when i was working on summoner simultaneously had been developing this tv project um based on this cyclist that I had met doing some commercial projects for specialized bikes. And uh, his name's Ultra Romance on on Instagram. And uh, in, in him, I really uh, saw this person who lives a uh, lives on his bicycle, essentially. He's, uh, you know, on the cover probably looks very hippy dippy to most people. He, you know, he's constantly traveling on his bike, but simultaneously he's got an incredible understanding of 
popular culture and can make Kardashian jokes and things like this, where someone that's usually so far down the line of drinking that much kombucha on a daily level and <laughs> this and that, you know, just couldn't yeah. possibly relate to the outside world that sees, uh, you know, this bearded uh, dirtbag. Uh, but... <laughs> you know, really that was also what's amazing about him is he actually has this appearance. He looks like a, a, a you know, a Fabio, uh, like dirt bag to a certain extent, but <laughs> loves, you know, cares how his hair looks, actually really cares about his tan, uh, you know, and, and wants to be a celebrity, which is also a really rare combination for someone that lives such a, um, you know, healthy sort of alternative lifestyle. He but, sounds like a, a true man of contradictions. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, he's great at making fun of himself and shares a lot of those characteristics we just talked about of uh, self-deprecation and stuff. But uh, we developed this TV show and, you know, over the last couple of years and it went out to, uh, you know, it, all the networks and studios and we got a lot of great reactions. But ultimately, the thing we ran into um, was no one wants a white male lead right now you know <laughs> yeah hbo yeah. max was interested amc was interested all these you know discovery and we had all these meetings but ultimately it was just in this tide and it and that that doesn't seem to have changed at all uh but it made going back to what we were talking about you know it really made me think about how we've got this I, I was just, I had to be proud of just the fact that although we didn't sell the show yet, <laughs> yeah, uh, that at least I completed it, you know, and the pitch and it's out there. And even though it's clearly hitting this wall of just what's selling right now, right? <laughs> that I have so no it, control it, of, you know? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't seem like the, the problem is the content. It's just that the timing. <laughs> exactly. Which again, not that you have any, anybody has control over that. It's just like. I guess it's like anything else. All it takes is one yes, but right well, now it's just not a subject uh, or a subject. Uh, yeah, subject to person. Yeah, who's not getting a yes. And and you know we've tried to as we move forward. You know I'm like well you know his fiance is uh, you know a, a Tibetan immigrant and she's obviously going to be a big part of the show. Can we make our pitch like you know yeah. like her on level footing with him and we've been experimenting with all those things but you know at the same time i, I when i talk to people in the business like oh you know it's so hard to rebrand something and send it back out and uh you know it seems like the industry still which you know is bittersweet like i of course i i want to see these other pro these diverse projects and leads coming out there yeah, well, absolutely. but but in a weird way though i mean obviously it's, it sucks that you didn't get a yes from HBO Max or anybody else, but in a weird way, the fact that uh, it's not personal on this one because it's just a thing that that practically no one is getting a green light for. So in that mm -hmm. respect, you know, you have the you have something quantifiable in terms of why, and it's not it's not really anything that you did in terms of it's not good enough. It's just not the right time for the thing at the point. Exactly, and and. And that's where I've just had to, like we talked about, celebrate, like, hey, at least you, you know, sure, this is three years of your life and a lot yes. of investment, but who knows, maybe timing will change down the road. 
uh, maybe there's another opportunity. I'm still, you know, trying to process what to do next with it because it, it, it terrifies me to think like I just let it go because, you know, simultaneously so much of what I've learned in this, uh, you know, film and TV business is just how much perseverance to get something across the line, <laughs> you know, takes. Yeah. Uh, but also there's a lot of other things I'm excited about developing and working on now and, and really even just developing this show, which was a semi unscripted, um, uh, uh, scripted show, you know, it was just really a way to get myself to, you know, the fully scripted projects I also want to do. So, uh, which I'm, you know, excited about developing. So it's just, it's, yeah, I don't know. Part of me is like, okay, maybe it's just time to let go of this for the time being, you know, <laughs> and, and, yeah. but then the other part of me is like, no, you gotta find a way to make the pilot <laughs> and then people will see, you know, what it is yeah. and that it actually celebrates diversity in the biggest way, even though, you know, the, the character has this appearance. So, you know, I, I don't know, it's or identity, I should say it's hard, but yeah, it's been tricky to reconcile all that with myself of, of, uh, you know, on any given, any given day, it can be like, I can't believe this is <laughs> like, yeah. I did all this and, and nobody wanted it at this time, you know, but, uh, it, it's, it's hard. It reminds me though, that like in a great way, Hollywood is so much a thing of trends and oh this is probably, like yellowstone is huge right now so everybody is seemingly ordering some form of like ranch dramas or cowboy stuff you know yeah. something <laughs> in that vein right yeah, yeah. the bright spot is if you have something like that it's awesome but if you don't it sucks so if you're part of the wave it's great yeah. but then again though you know in keeping with this weird wave metaphor that there there's always going to be another wave so maybe it's just not this one uh as much exactly. as it obviously sucks in the moment but you still know that you finished it you have it there to your point earlier it's tough to change that first impression of what the project is but uh for better or worse there's a lot of turnaround in these studios and unfortunately maybe the turnaround involves them recycling a lot of the same people mm -hmm. but it's all about finding a person who hasn't seen it or is open to the new perception of it. Right? Exactly. And I and I think that's the what I've I'm starting to settle into is like okay, just even knowing on other projects, yeah, how much the turnaround of who's running any given studio or you know <laughs> brand yeah. or whatever, uh it's it's it changes as uh th those waves come and go as much as the uh you know the what's what people want. So uh yeah. It, I've, it's it's one of those things where I think I'll I'm gonna just kind of sit on it for a second until and, and you know it feels like it's time to reintroduce or uh, if there's a new way of looking at it or something like that. But because uh, it's certainly I believe a timely you know the the whole show's based on a sustainability investigation both environmental but also socially uh, and. Uh, they travel around on their bikes on these routes, which they do, and then have, you know, these sort of conversations and, uh, you know, it's, it's timely in that it's the, the I point of the show is really trying to diffuse the hyperbolic nature of everything right now, yeah. you know, of yeah. whether it's climate or, uh, you know, whatever, um, just trying to with him, own the fact that you know here is a guy who you know uh 
lives this really responsible lifestyle, but also makes his living based on a app on a phone called Instagram that, you know, is made by Chinese labor, you know, or something. Yeah. And, and that none of us are pure <laughs> in no. some way, like we're not, but that doesn't mean we can't uh, try to be better. So right. we're, uh, none of us are exempt. Exactly. Like, at all. At yeah. All. At all. Well, and, and that really came to me. Like it really dawned on me. I remember, do you remember when in Portland, when they were, uh, I think Greenpeace or a few folks were like hanging themselves some bridges, trying to blockade some sort of oil. Uh, I don't know what exactly what I'm trying to remember what it was, but I remember the, the Greenpeace folks were involved in the, you know, the, the comments and, you know, were like, did, you know, these, these guys are, they don't even know their kayaks are made out of petroleum plastic, you know, yeah, right? yeah. something like this. And I'm just like, oh man, it's, it's so, yeah, it's just, it's, it doesn't go I, anywhere. <laughs> say the, the world doesn't live in a binary like that of yeah. this or that, good or evil. Unfortunately, 100%. it's all absolutely blurred and it's all relative. It's and, not, nobody's a perfect person or a good person. It's all relative to how bad you can be versus yeah. what you are or what you know whatever but and that's yeah. and that's what i've really tried yeah it's just like let's let's start embracing the gray again exactly <laughs> i was gonna say you gotta a, part, a weird part of life feels like being okay with living in some shade of gray whatever yeah. that may be depending on how you quantify it but yeah. uh, i do want to ask you by the way about you acted or you were uh the cinematographer for the music video the Fix, Lawrence Rothman's The Fix, directed yeah. by D Drake Doremus. That's right. Did it shoot in Spain? Or it did, yeah, yeah. Uh, we shot that in Spain in um, Menorca. i got to make sure I say that right. Uh, not Mallorca, Menorca. Okay, so which I, is knew, the... I know those two. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was a really special uh, shoot. Uh, Drake and I had been friends for a long time. And... Uh, he, you know, he had uh, asked me to shoot one of his first films that got into Sundance and for a couple different reasons, get myself getting into directing as well as some other components it never ended up happening. And uh, from there, you know, he won uh, Sundance shortly after that. And it was like crazy, right? That's I think right. I mentioned that in the last one. Yeah. Yep. And so we kind of had this, you know, never actually collaborated despite being just such good friends uh and finally uh he was over i want to say yeah he was over in europe for a good part of early 2021 doing a commercial project and uh was gonna stay for a while and just that you know thought there might be a way that uh you know, we could come over and do do the music video. And uh, I said, absolutely. I, I didn't have a ton going at the time, but also just was really looking forward to the opportunity where uh, we could make something uh, together. And, and it was it was fantastic in so many yeah. ways, not only in our friendship, but also the shoot and the, the way it came out. And, uh, you know, we were pretty happy with and uh, it's beautiful. It's a oh, beautiful you. music video. I appreciate that. Like there were some so many shots that just like you know again like I said uh, I think when we were maybe before we were recording but you know cinematography like just certain shots certain things and really just 
light my brain up and there are a lot of those in that and it definitely helps i would imagine to have the topography and some of the architecture in that that is just mm -hmm. inherently so cinematic yeah. and beautiful <laughs> like man yeah. there that that kind of uh that maze looking structure with that shot that was over the top yeah beautiful god the, it was so in cinematic and interesting. that 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 might be one of my favorite locations ever and and while i think the maze component of it is probably the most visually striking for in the video just the that was just a quarry you know yeah and uh, i don't know i you know we we joke about this still today, but there was something about being down there in that pit that felt like changed us. Right? It was biblical. Yeah, it was just such a you know you could see these old limestone stairs where you know these miners and I don't know if that's what you'd call mining limestone, probably not, but where they would work and it you know it looked like an an a real Escher uh, you know. Uh, illustration in some ways you know the way these staircases would be cut into the walls themselves to haul the very wall they're cutting out and carrying up and uh, that maze I think was actually a product of uh, just them turning it into a tourist attraction later on okay. uh, but it's well, well by done. using so but still it's awesome you know and, yeah. and we we were like oh man this is I it was just such a cool place to shoot and uh that was probably one of our, our favorite, the, probably one of my favorites as well. It's funny you mentioned the MC Escher because a few shots in there kind of reminded me of uh, the movie The Fall, which has mm. a Tarsum's movie, which yeah. has so many shots that light my brain up because they're just, you know, it's almost like he's a very visual director to the point of narrative is very secondary almost you know it's mm -hmm. all about mm -hmm. what he does and the the shots it's almost like in a way and this is not in any way a bash like they're music videos that are feature length that also you know like it's very about striking striking very striking mm -hmm. and that's what it kind of reminded me of certain shots oh, in that yeah. that really stick they man again they really really stick with me uh when you're because this was i believe and please correct me if i'm wrong but and this is the first time in a minute that you've acted as a cinematographer. And yeah. do you, when you're doing that, do you have to like brush up on, on the latest techniques, the latest technology in cinematography or you're like, or is it just something you kind of innately track anyway? Um, I would say yes, to some extent. I, I actually brought out a small camera package uh, to shoot that, that I had been developing for some of my own purposes as a director mm -hmm. and so i guess in that case i had kind of been you know keeping up to speed with uh, camera technology you know in, in the case of cinematography the things that don't change much are like lenses how they work and what they're gonna you know sure more lenses come out but like generally it's just a matter of sampling, you know, and uh, it's like some ver some variation of the same thing. <laughs> some variation right? of the same thing, yeah. exactly. And and you know that's sort of the case with cameras too. Uh, you know, the one thing I've learned over the years, well, a, any cinematographer will probably tell you this, but you you know, it's much better to invest in lenses than it is in cameras because they just change now every so quickly you know within yeah. a, a year or two although that being said you know the area alexa and some of you know my favorite cameras now i realize i was like gosh that same sensor has been around for 
like 10, 12, 15 years now, which is pretty long. They, they repackage it and there's all sorts of different electronics around it. But, yeah. but it's the same, you know, uh, imager, essentially. So the funny thing um, is, too, that with a lot of technology, it feels like they have a fiduciary responsibility, ability, responsibility not to do anything revolutionary. Mm. Because if they do something revolutionary, then they're like, well, shit, now we have to keep reinventing the wheel so right incremental change you know like uh, in in a way it's not the same thing but like the idea of uh built-in obsolescence like yeah they have a fiduciary responsibility to themselves mind you totally to uh to make it to where you you still require them so and, and that was you know, that was a lot of the criticism around red cameras you know was that yeah. a lot of people at some point saw that as a pyramid scheme to a certain extent because of the way you know, it's constantly you have to keep upgrading and spending more money and updating. Uh, but that being said, you know, the base, I would argue the base price for some of those things is far less than it would be if you bought a film camera that, you know, could have, uh, you know, cost four times as much uh, and, you know, never changed. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's, it's you know, I don't really take a side on that, but it's interesting. It's related to what you were just talking about there of, how elect the electrical digitization of uh you know film acquisition has has played out but i i feel uh you know i lighting hasn't changed much i think you know that's what i usually kind of buff myself up on a little bit uh to shoot is just sort of reviewing uh a lot of lighting ideas and concepts and those tools a little bit, but you know, it generally comes back pretty quick. And, and I was actually pretty proud of this shoot because, you know, Drake tends to be somebody who's um, his style. Like when, when he won uh, Sundance with like crazy, you know, he really found his groove in doing these scripts that were outlines where, you know, uh, there's a lot more improvisation. The camera's always handheld. He he really liked using more telephoto lenses from, uh, you know, uh, not very many wide shots, you know, a lot. And, you know, so I re he's, he's I really finding the movie while he's making the movie. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. He knows the feeling a lot. He, you know, he's a real um, uh, emotional actor-oriented director and, and, uh, I tried to push him a little bit of like, you know, and, and, you know, I think he said to me at some point, he's like, you know, a 35 millimeter. I've never, I have, I don't think I've ever used a 35 millimeter. I'm like, that's not even a wide angle lens. You know, it's like, it's a medium wide, it's getting there, but it's not even, you know, wait till you use an 18 or a 25 or something like this. And it was, uh, so that was fun trying to get him to expand a little bit too. Uh, and, you know, I certainly learned a lot uh working with him as well uh so the whole experience was fantastic and and while you know i'm certainly focused on directing you know i told him uh you know after the shoot you know i i, I you know i'd be happy to shoot something uh together again whether it's a video or a movie or or whatever because really the bottom line for me isn't necessarily having the director credit but just uh you know making something good yeah well, and and just any ability to expand your skill set, or your even your just your way of thinking, or your approach. I mean, that's a and doing it with a fruitful creative collaboration, and also just thinking about it too. By the way, like thank God you guys worked well together because to your point, you can get along well, but it doesn't mean that creatively 
you necessarily mesh well. Oh, and uh, I, I was terrified of that going yeah. in. I was like, what What if this is the end of our franchise? <laughs> do, we, the, oh, do, we, do we blur these lines here? I'm like, oh, thank God. I, I, I paralleled it to like, what a you know if you were friends with somebody for a long time and then one of you were interested in making a romantic relationship yeah. or something, like it's can yeah. can you make this change is it possible or will you ruin the good things you already have but luckily that all worked out and I, you know part of it was just that island too and being there it was just such a uh, during the you know heart of the pandemic i think the vaccines were just starting to roll out at that point so it was just a weird time to travel abroad and be it the whole thing just seemed like it was you know a dream to a certain extent yeah and well to your point though like you can think you're really good friends you want to test your friendship become roommates yeah and you'll really <laughs> you'll really get a sense of whether that works or not because that is a whole other dynamic yeah. and i can say that from personal experience yeah very dramatically different but yeah, yeah i but i you know that that's its own form of like vulnerability to be like man i would love to work with him but Boy, I hope the idea of it and the reality of it are the same because, you know, we get along well, but again, it's like, you just don't, you just don't know until you do yeah. it. And thank God it worked out well. And now you're wanting to do it even more if possible. Like that's, well, a complete and, win. you know, that's, and I got to give kudos to Drake in that sense, because, you know, as soon as like when I was at, uh, AFI, and I think we mentioned this a little bit last time, but when I, you know, I realized they wanted to direct, uh, or that my interests were beyond just the the image, which was certainly where how I initially got drawn to filmmaking, the photography. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I reapplied to AFI and got in as a director after my first year, but I, I just like didn't want to spend another year of graduate film school. I felt like the cinematography program was uh, is equally as good of a directing program in some ways yeah. at the time. Uh, but so many people, once they found out, you know, that I had those interests just didn't want to work with me. And, uh, you know, the industry in general is so much more compatible with like screenwriters, actors, and directors traversing across those lines, you know, they you can be one in one project another another but the cinematographer director uh line seems to be one like less uh you can't traverse quite as much or it's not as accepted as much because i remember when i kind of made that no one wanted to work with me and and uh except for a, a, a few directors and you know, that was frustrating because, you know, it wasn't about, you know, being a director is a very, you know, special relationship with your ego for sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, Drake could recognize that. Um, and I noticed women uh, were, uh, female directors were uh, much more compatible with, uh, you know, that and working with me. But Drake, uh, you know, was it's just been great to have him recognize that he, you know, he cheers me on as a director. He, you know, it's not about holding that over anybody's head or, 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 you know, feeling threatened by it because truly I'm not, you know, there to judge anybody's, uh, you know, directing. I'm just there, you know, like I said, to make something good. And, and, you know, that seems to be how it works more frequently as like actor, director, or producer, you know, that those sorts of uh, folks. So it's wild how, it's wild how they define authorship. You know, like, you, oh, a screenwriter, it's their vision of 
having written it. So it's like, oh, well, it's a natural progression to taking hold of the end product of it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But as if like a cinematographer doesn't shape the entire look of a film directing the camera, you know, just yeah. directing cinematography yeah. or the idea that an editor, you know, like a Hal Ashby, mind you, mm -hmm. an editor turned director doesn't create, doesn't change everything. Doesn't, can't completely change, change. Yeah. how a scene plays out, the tone of it, everything about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, they always say that like the movie's made in editing and yet the idea of an editor versus a screenwriter becoming a director seems foreign by comparison. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 another discipline that I would say is rarely uh you know, gets to escape into other fields of the of the craft, you know, like yeah, an editor generally, but you know, having done some editing myself, uh, you know, I wouldn't call myself a professional by any means and I've I've cut, you know, some of my music videos and stuff, but uh, you you learn so much from that process, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what that's the storytelling element, right? Exactly. I mean, it's like it's a, it's a wonder that Hal Ashby, who I think his first movie he ever edited, he was nominated or won best editor for, which I think might be in the heat of the night, if I'm mm -hmm, correct, mm -hmm. maybe not. But then it's like, oh wow, it's unsurprising that guy is an all time great storyteller as a filmmaker, having quite literally cut his chops as a as a an editor yeah and then it makes so much sense because like that's what it is you're making it consumable for people exactly and while i would say you know at least in the i i think I'd, it's hard for me to imagine ever cutting you know i'm hoping to do my first feature here soon and i always think well you know i don't it's so important to have another perspective to go through that material that like i yeah. i don't and and you know, what's the uh, saying, like, give up, you know, your darlings, which like, yeah, it took us oh, 30 kill, minutes kill to shoot, kill, yeah. your kill your yeah. darlings. Yeah, you know, I got it took us, you know, half a day to shoot that scene. But it doesn't, you know, the editor doesn't know that. And it's better that they don't, because if it doesn't work, yeah. it, it doesn't work. Okay, like, I don't like being wrong, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Also. Exactly. Yeah. Like, dear God, like, I don't like to be wrong, but... That cuts both ways, too. It does. It does. And I imagine, too, that when you're a director, like, you know, even creating that TV show and it's something that you're with for two or three years or more, of course, you're going to get too close to something and you're going to be able to lose some perspective of it's easy to lose perspective of like where you were, where you how something became what it was based on based Absolutely. on what you had intended Yeah. to have the context of somebody coming in and seeing that and giving you that. That's invaluable that's required the, the only way you know i've been able to get that perspective on is just with time and and, yeah. and going back to what we we're saying with you know deadlines uh you know that's where you just you can't possibly have that time away from the material between production and and, and post uh production that you know you would be able to see it for what it is so yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's imperative you i think the editor is someone else but where i think in directing where having done some editing really benefits you is on set in production of, you know, like, okay, we're running out of time. Uh, you know, what do you really need here? Right. <laughs> like yeah. You can yeah. have it and, what and making those hard decisions uh, gets a little bit easier. I think of, okay, this doesn't need to be as many shots as we've storyboarded if we don't have to, you know, finish this now. And, and it's comforting to also even hear someone like, you know, David Fincher or some really established director still having yeah. to make those same, you know, 
choices, you know, uh, even though they're, you know, they're shooting like a page a day, you know, of, yeah. of screenplay. It's still, it's, it's always going to kind of come down to that. So that, uh, that that reminds me of like Spielberg. I think they said that, I don't know if it was like for a, an instance of like certain movies or just in general that he has or does shoot to cut, I think was the phrasing shooting mm. everything. Like he knows the exact thing he needs and shooting specific things in real time as he goes, knowing how they'll cut together based on the decision he made just prior. Yep. So, which is a, a very like, wow, you might not have any coverage if you do that and you screw it up. So it, you know, it, it helps that he's an otherworldly all time great filmmaker. Sure. Then yeah. to do that, that helps a lot. Yeah. But, uh, but just the confidence in that of kind of, for lack of a better word, not really having a safety net yeah. and ha- creating a, real-time ripple effect and you're like man if one thing is missing here i'm i'm fucked yeah but but also having that perspective though in real time goes a long way because then you can really craft your movie as you're going absolutely no and it's essential it's to have that i i mean i i would hope and i i imagine more and more these days uh you know directors of uh today and tomorrow you know have that experience just because editing and from an equipment standpoint maybe even cinematography too has just become so democratized that yeah. you know the access and the ability to even just dabble <laughs> is yeah is uh there so you know I, it'll be interesting to see how that really shapes things uh, for movies in the in the years to come but because i i think everyone's uh you know learning things for me i think you know the differences I see in cinematography, you know, really seem to be that people like there's there's folks that take the time to learn lighting and there's those that just recognize how great an image is the cameras can make now. And, you know, with yeah. certain color grading, sure, you can make these commercial polished images, but it's not necessarily storytelling, I guess. <laughs> and, yeah. That's that's the one thing I've kind of been, you know, I try to impart on anybody that asks me about cinematography is, you know, really take the time to uh, learn that because it's really sort of, uh, you know, what separates the 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 field, I would say. Well, it reminds me of last year. There were a surprising number, or at least relative to, to, to the quote unquote norm of black and white movies that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a fair amount. But even when you watch those, you can you can really see the differences between making a movie black and white and then really maximizing the black and white. Mm-hmm. And some of them looked really flat and then yeah. others looked gorgeous. Right. And just seeing those differences, you're like, oh yeah, this is, I mean, granted, it could just be a difference in choice, but it also could be a different difference in approach and craft at the same time. Yeah. And some of them were utterly beautiful and it really felt like, the black and it really felt like oh there was purpose to the black and white, and then there was one for example I won't specify but that just felt really flat to me and it kind of took me out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and you know it's funny you mentioned black and white because I uh, that does seem to be uh, we were talking before the recording about uh, you know Macbeth and uh, yeah. all these uh, sort of recent it does seem to be a little well what else the like French Connection uh, there seems to be. Uh, or um, dispatch the French dispatch. Sorry, uh, you know that are where we're seeing more black and white, uh, uh, which is interesting because you know even just looking at 
not that I should use Instagram as a metric, but <laughs> yeah. I've noticed, you know, I, I do a lot of black and white stuff. Uh, I've used a lot of those big wet Delta, if not all of those videos are black and white. No, that's right. Three, yeah. three or four of them are or something like that. But it's something I gravitate towards too. But I notice on Instagram, even when I post pictures, how, you know, it could be something I'm really proud of and it gets far less likes than color images of a sunset yeah. too, you know, or something. Yeah. And and I'm like, gosh, is that is there just something inherent about a black and white that people but I think it's more successful in the context of a story uh than maybe just a standalone image or again, maybe it's just a matter of taste and, you know, changing uh, you know, appetites but it's like maybe it's just a matter of like sometimes you have to be in the mood like whether you want to watch a movie with subtitles or you're just like i just don't have the not the patience but maybe the attention span to do that you know maybe it's not a matter of whether you dislike that or just like depends on the time depends on the day who's to say but yeah but there was a surprising like kind of at least relative glut of black and white movies between thinking about it now Tragedy of Macbeth, Come On, Come On, the Mike Mills film, yep. Passing, yep, Passing, uh, yeah, Belfast, which uh, yeah, I've been uh, that's on my list here. I've heard yeah. it's fantastic. I do want to ask you before we wrap it up that last time we talked, which is also the first time that I think about it, but when we talked, you had mentioned that the last movie that really grabbed you at that point was Ex Machina, mm-hmm. the Alex Garland film. Yep. Any film since then that's really done that for you in the last 11 months? Ooh, in the last 11 months. Because I do have one that really did it for me. Oh, I'd uh, love to hear that. What 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 did you see? We were talking to each other at a great time because I have been, when the new year started, I was just like, man, 2022. And it was like really weighing on me and like winter and it's gross. And so I was just like in this two week, just not feeling great type thing. Mm-hmm. And I've since watched... 12 movies mm. as part of the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, yeah. And I'm just cinematically rejuvenated. Oh, wow. And, um, That's great. And, uh, and now, I'm, by the way, something that you might be interested in if you don't know about it, Slam Dance is happening right now until Thursday. Mm-hmm. And it's $10 to watch every movie. Wow. And Nina McNeely has a movie that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, The Severing, which huh. uh, is described as Pina meets saw oh yes i i think yeah. i've seen a little bit of uh, okay a teaser or something of it but i haven't seen it in full yeah it's it's on there oh, great. um 70 minutes directed by mark uh pelkington or pellington pellington yep, pellington who uh made mop and prophecies and arlington road both movies that i quite like um but uh anyway the movie that i saw that i highly 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 recommend that i think is truly incredible is a movie called after yang Directed by Koganada, who, if you're not familiar with Koganada, Koganada previously was a film essayist who's uh, broke down different aspects of the films of like Kubrick and Ozu mm, and, mm-hmm. and different masters. And he then made the movie Columbus like four or five years ago, which that cinematography in it, it's unbelievable. Huh. The movie is fan. I love the movie so much. Wow. It's his debut film. It's one of my favorite debut films of the last probably decade or more. I think it's so impressive and self-assured. I'll and check like, that out. That you said it's, that's on the Slam Dance program now. Th- that one is not. Well, or the uh, After but, Young, is that what you said it was? After Yang. Yang. Uh, after Y-A-N-G. Yang. That was part of Sundance. It'll be out soon, I think. They're, tomorrow, by the way, they're releasing the trailer for it. Oh, great. But it is... It's it's a step up, even more so from Columbus, and it's so beautiful, and it's really stuck with me. Huh. Cannot recommend it enough. 
it's it's also like a something that based on what we talked about last time about how some form of like post-apocalyptic movies resonated with you as a child mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. those existential crisis films yeah and this takes place in an unknown time of the deep future where clearly there was some sort of apocalypse and then the vegetation is growing by so it's a very beautiful green movie uh-huh i, I don't know it's hard to describe huh the movie's fantastic oh well you've got my interest peaked i you know i i have to say in terms of what i've i've seen you know in the last uh year it hasn't you know if anything i i mean that this probably isn't the answer you want to hear but i, I do feel yeah. like i've sort of retreated a little bit from taking in films and uh you know and that's maybe take you know sometimes impacts inspiration sometimes like sure. good or bad uh, but really just try to focus on some of yeah my, my own scripts and stories that are I'm just trying to connect with. You know, I actually watched uh, what this is not necessarily a film in and of itself, but the I hadn't seen the making of Roma <laughs> before, which uh, was on Netflix. And I found it really interesting. Listen to Quorn uh, in that where he's talking about, you know, not this is the first film he made without drawing references to other films right <laughs> and it's purely based on me- yeah. barely based on his memory and sensory experiences as a child and i guess that kind of relates to a project that i've been working on where it's you know it's a little bit more uh, about those things we talked about in the last uh, uh podcast but uh weighing on those for just what they are and then i imagine you know when it comes time to execute from a script standpoint and then when it comes time to you know, hopefully making these uh, movies that that's where I would start to, you know, <laughs> like use references and, and start yeah. digesting other cinema. Like uh, formal influence. Yeah, you know, within... exactly. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm trying to think uh, if there's something that's really on the top of my mind. I knew you were going to ask me a question like this and I should have been. <laughs> but by the way, Roma, talk about a beautifully shot black and white film. 100%. Yeah. I I, I love that movie. No, I, it was interesting to hear him talk about the, you know, he's like, I, what did he say? It was like, I wanted it to be a black and white movie that looked like it was shot with the camera in 2020, right? <laughs> like total absence of grain, you yeah. know, uh, which I think was the Lexa 65 or something like that. But the... Uh, which was interesting because on the one hand, black and white just kind of implies period. But yeah. at the same time, you know, totally could have been a color movie, even had it been shot in the time it takes place. You know, so Yeah, it's also interesting to have that dichotomy of, to your point of like, I, when you see black and white, you tend to think of 40s, 50s, everything before that pre-color. Yeah. and But now, obviously, it's an artistic choice. But then to do it through the the prism of... Black and white, but the, but clearly, purposefully with the technology of today, mm-hmm. and showing that while also doing that to then film a memory is a really right. interesting dichotomy. It is, it is, and I've always thought, you know, I, I think I've always kind of gravitated towards, uh, like, I should, I'm about to say this, and then I think like, oh yeah, Summoner and all these other movies have a lot of grain in them, but that was really as context for it being found footage or uh, something along those lines. I'll I'll never forget seeing 
like you know 65 mil prints of like 2001 or uh at the egyptian theater in la and just being blown away how much more three-dimensional uh the image the implied space is when there's no grain identifying the screen you know yeah. and yeah. i've i that's where i've recently found myself landing on the side of more of like if it, if the grain doesn't say like hey you're watching a film or something like why wouldn't yeah. you want to imply a 3d space you know and and be you know seeing a two uh you know uh from a 2d image you know and and in your mind sort of uh, uh extracting that and even related to what you we were talking about with black and white it's the same thing it's like you you kind of fill in those colors with your your mind you know uh you may yeah. be watching a black and white but you kind of know by shape and whatever what that might look like and uh, you know it's is it like that much closer to uh, you know what we do in reading a book right <laughs> and that you're yeah. filling you're filling in everything you know and and kind of where how that works with story and what that balance is because uh, we all know there's fantastic color movies i'm not saying that uh oh, fantastic sure. ones with grain too but uh you know and, and as we watch more and more stuff on small screens uh you know the less that grain's perceivable too so it's um you know those those questions and things are fascinating to me and something I, I think about all the time and you know the choices I make on on any given project. Yeah, it's it, not thinking about thinking about it for the first time in that way. I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess the black and white really facilitated in the Roma example his vision of like it's black and white. You don't have to focus on color. It's it's less to focus on so you can really like focus on this story this memory and it's also i mean it's an artistic choice but it also feels like yeah uh it facilitates the storytelling also it does yeah and which i i guess i just never thought about how it it kind of minimizes what your brain has to process or limits it relative to what color is and how you know there's so much symbolism that can be involved there and it's just vibrancy and you're just focusing on other more things than you might mm -hmm. be a versus a black and white film. Yeah. I mean, it would be interesting to see if, you know, like sound designs, like more complicated or more flushed out in black and yeah. white film versus color version or something. I don't oh, like as if you, yeah. as if you lose a sense, yeah, exactly. your other senses get heightened. Yeah, yeah. Or something. I mean, there'd be yeah. no way to do that unless you could watch a, like the same director make the same script, with the same actors in two different productions. You know, it's, there's yeah. probably no way to really uh, scientifically, uh, you know, look at that. But no, it's the, the only director who's probably efficient enough and prolific enough to do that and to it be on the table is like Soderbergh. Yeah, <laughs> who basically has his movie finished by the time they're done finished, they're done shooting. Yeah. Like he's cutting in real time. Like that guy is just, and it's also the fact that he can do that. And his movies are always really good, minimally. Yeah. Like, he's just a machine. It's incredible. It's incredible. No, I, I, I'm really happy with... Uh, I, I actually... Uh, you'll have you, you'll be better at this. I'm not the best at remembering titles, but what was the last movie he did with Meryl Streep and, on the cruise ship? Um, it was oh, well, what's funny is it's not even the last movie he did. No, he it's not. Great. He's already up. another... He's, no, he's, no Sudden Move, which is great. Yeah. I really, really liked it. Uh, you're talking about, yeah, the boat movie, which uh, I, man, me. I loved it. I did too. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that was, I, loved real, it. I thought that was a great film and I was like, thank God he 
didn't you know really retire from filmmaking at all (laughs) i man when he did too i was like man it felt like there was an immediate void knowing you couldn't have just like the the safety net of a soder like two soderbergh movies every 18 months it felt like and to now see him back and doing things like shooting professionally like at times with an iphone with like high flying bird but he's doing it still at his high level so it maybe created a a false sense of security for some people of like this is not a thing anybody can do. This is him at knowing how to use it through the through the prism of a feature film. Yeah, you know, with that uh, movie and Unsane doing it as well. You know, he uh, it, it just makes it seem so easy and attainable while also doing something that very few people can do. Yeah, and I you know I was having this conversation with someone uh, uh, with Molly's parents I think the other day. Uh, and how, you know, some directors, I, I hate to use this term, like a one trick pony, but have their style a certain, you know, whether it's, um, you know, Wes Anderson and the theatrical nature or, you know, all yeah. these sorts of things, but which obviously only he, you know, can do into his, you know, brilliant ways. But the same way that, you know, someone like Soderbergh can just, constantly reinvent themselves uh it's incredible is, yeah. is amazing and they're both admirable in their own way you know <laughs> and, and that's <laughs> yeah, they're not they don't mean to take away from anybody you know it's uh, as a filmmaker it's just interesting to see how someone can be so entrenched in a style and keep it going and you know this and that and reinvent it in some aspects but uh someone who i was trying to parallel it to like a music you know like are we what were you talking about here like uh madonna or someone that could rep but she's always in pop i guess you know like an, yeah. an artist that's just tra- traversed all sorts of genres and styles you well know? it's like you know it's like say what you will about michael bay movies and granted but i mean but to to his credit you know what a Michael Bay movie looks like. That's right. You cannot mistake it for any other person's movie. Absolutely. Same thing with Wes Anderson. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is that, that Wes Anderson is so, for example, like so formally accomplished that he is probably a rare director where like nobody can make a Wes Anderson movie, but I bet he can he can make some other people's films. Probably. If he wanted if to. If he wanted to. <laughs> but not. we'll never know. We'll never know. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. We'll never know. And I say that in the French Dispatch, I absolutely loved. It felt like a combination of everything he could do put together. And that movie should not work at all. Yeah. But it really does, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're, we've gone way over what I anticipated. So my apologies for that. Oh, it's great uh, talking. So man. we need to wrap it up. I know I could do this all day. So uh, what all do you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? And I'll put links and stuff when I release the episode to point people toward whatever you want. Oh, well, you know, uh, I uh, obviously my Instagram and uh, website has most of my stuff, but, you know, check out uh I'm still trying to get more people to watch Summoner and AC yeah. Dork and some of those big black Delta videos. Those were, uh, you know, as I've taken some time to develop some longer stuff here, I, I don't have really recent stuff that's not, you know, commercial work. Uh, but um, the, uh, you know, those I'm, I, I still believe a lot in and, and having, you know, hearing that John's making some new music here. I'm also uh, thinking I got, I got to go see what he's, what he's creating here. And <laughs> what's next? I saw him so. say yesterday, I saw him saw the, a couple of days ago, maybe that he's 
making the best music of his life. That's and what I was he like, says. Oh, yeah. boy, that like, is exciting. And that means I got to go pay him a visit. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, if, I, if I'm lucky enough to hear any of it. But, uh, yeah, no, excited to see that. But, yeah, really, uh, you know, I'd like to get those uh, further out there. And, I, you know, even actually what you mentioned with Nina, uh, you know, we had talked a little bit uh in the DMs or something a while back. And, you know, she had uh, done some videos that I really liked uh, for that she directed and choreographed. And, you know, she was shut. They had all these uh, palmares of, you know, various film festivals and stuff. And I was like, how did, you know, how do you, do, how do you promote all this stuff? She's like, film freeway, you idiot. You know, like I just submit this <laughs> thing to all sorts of stuff. And so it's great to hear she has that piece and, uh, slam dance too but you know it's like yeah I, I really wish summoner I would have done a little bit more of that um, and you know it's even made me think because there's so many rules and, and festivals you know submissions of you know it has to be production has to be completed within a year of that festival to be submitted you know and while yeah. I've maybe missed the timeline on some of that I was like gosh you know I, I feel like there's uh, it's worth getting that out there a little bit more but um, it's like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Well, I see, I'm yeah. the, it, this goes back to the beginning of just being my worst yeah. uh, hype yeah, man. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I really need to, uh, you know, find others that uh, <laughs> can know that game better than I do. <laughs> yeah. Because for me, it's always just like, oh, we'll put this out on the Internet and it'll be discovered. But you realize whether it's via algorithms or whether it's any good, <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, it's not that simple. So, um you know, I've got to, I've got to do better about that in uh, so 2022. It's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to <laughs> you know, it's like, well, 2022, I got to learn how to play capital T, capital G, the game. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I, I, that's my mission for now until, uh, until, yeah, hopefully at some point, you know, others uh, would, you know, be able to help with that. But uh, that's, 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 that's my New Year's resolution is, uh, you know, be kind to myself. <laughs> yeah yeah and mine is um be kind of myself uh realize swallow your pride and compromise is okay yeah yeah <laughs> that's tough yeah boy yeah all kinds of things i am a perpetual work in progress but likewise uh, thank you thank you for doing this by the way <laughs> hey, thank you my pleasure this is great. anytime uh always enjoy uh talking so yeah it's great Thank you all for listening. We've got to wrap it up, voice. Please get vaccinated. Get the booster. Do all the things. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Lead with empathy. Do all of the things that humans should do? Question mark? I don't know. But thank you for listening. And goodbye.